Good morning, everybody. This morning's reading is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27, and it should be up on the screens. Peter's declaration about Jesus. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do you, do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm on, this is great. So they said, who do people say that I am? And what would the response be to the Messiah sent from God? At this point, their expectations would be very high indeed as how this is going to pan out. And ultimately, we're going to whoop the Romans and we're going to you know, we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to not rebuild the temple. We're going to rebuild the Jewish nation as an independent nation. And everybody's very excited. And then Jesus says, that's not how it's going to go. And he had to follow the way of the cross. And that's the way that we have to follow. If anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. It's an interesting and challenging thing to think about is commitment, isn't it? We sing some great songs about commitment, but what does it mean? What's the nitty-gritty of what it means to follow Jesus, to take up our cross and follow him? The way I see it in my life is I think of commitment as on a kind of sliding scale, that sometimes I'm more committed than others. In some areas of my life, I'm more committed than others. 
Um, and, and the reality, it seems to me, is about the choices I have to make. I come to a crunch point and I can choose to follow Jesus or I can choose to follow my own way. Following Jesus is about the people we are, our character. It's about choosing to love from the heart, choosing to have care and compassion for people, in giving up our time and energy for people, in forgiving people, in loving our enemies. Commitment about and following Jesus is about desiring to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. In seeking the gifts that God has given us and seeking to grow in them and develop in them. To live for the kingdom. To choose to serve our neighbors, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. The people we work with. Following Jesus, taking up our cross is something about breaking free from the you only have one life narrative. You only have one life, so go out and enjoy it. You only have one life, so give up on that rubbish marriage and go and find somebody else. You only have one life, so live it for yourself. It's about breaking free from that. Uh, my friend uh, Nick, Nick Gray, who many of you know, he's a big Dylan fan. And he's somewhat dismayed to find that I like Dylan's songs, but I don't really like Dylan that much. <laughs> and he sang a great song called, You've Got to Serve Somebody. Who do we serve? What do we serve? Do we serve God? Or do we obey our fear? Does our fear control us? Or does God control us? Now, fear in itself is not a bad thing. It's a little bit of well-thought-out fear will stop me walking in front of the traffic. It'll make me wash my hands a bit more often than I do at the moment. It'll make me think carefully about shaking hands or giving someone a hug. And that's a good thing. But if my fear controls me, my fear strangles me. So I'm not free because I serve my fear and my insecurity, my need for safety. Then I'm not following Jesus. Or maybe what I serve is my comfort, my desire for a nice, comfortable life. I think underneath there's a bit of me that's inherently lazy and wants to just find an easy road a stress-free road or is it my pleasures the things I enjoy doing do I serve those I love to travel I love sunshine I know what am I doing here <laughs> I ask myself that question <laughs> I love music you know is this what I serve in these days, we can serve our pleasures in so many ways. We have drugs and alcohol. Is it sex we serve? 
What drives us? Is it our ambitions? Are we just focused on our work and what we're going to achieve in life? Do we serve the approval of others? We all have this deep desire within us to be accepted, to be liked, to fit in. Is that what I serve? Am I a people pleaser? When I was about uh, 19, maybe 20, that sort of age, I was sitting in a pub with a bunch of mates. Now, I became a Christian when I was just turned 17. I had all these mates who weren't Christians, and I wanted to tell them about Jesus, and I wanted to maintain my relationship with them. And um, at the time, in the church circles that I moved in, uh, going in the pub was kind of frowned on. But I felt, you know, I felt this is where God wants me to be. And I think I was right. And I tried not to drink too much. I tried to be a good example. And one day, as I was sitting in a pub with a bunch of these guys, they just ripped me to shreds. The whole group of them turned on me. It was a bizarre experience and told me I was a hypocrite. And uh, I was deeply upset. I went home that night and prayed about it. And I felt God speak to me, and he said, stop trying to please them. Just please me. And if he pleases them, that's good. And if he doesn't, that's tough. But he said, you are trying to please them. Stop it. Now, don't get me wrong. If I want to please God, I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to please them in the terms of some parts of who I am. Some parts of who I am might disturb them. But I've got to please God first and follow Jesus. Interestingly, almost all of these guys individually came back to me over the coming week and apologized. <laughs> almost every single one of them. <laughs> so it was a deep and profound experience for each young Christian, you know. But the lesson was worth it for the lesson. And some of those guys I'm still friendly with now. And after my wife died, some of them actually made, reached out to me to say, we're going walking, do you want to come? You know, we're, we're going to do, go and see this band, do you want to come and join us? And, and they've been great, they've been really great. Am I addicted to people's approval? You know, I have an upfront kind of ministry. I can be addicted to the, I can be, why am I doing this preaching stuff? I want it to go well. I want people to, be, to think about things. I want people to say to me afterwards, oh, Chris, that was good. <laughs> I still like that. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to encourage people. But if I do it because from what I get out of it, if I do it, if I lead worship and the music goes really well, I'm feeling really pleased. And I can serve that. And church itself can become something that we serve. And we have to follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus and put him in the right place, then we'll properly serve the people in the church. And we'll, be, we'll have servant hearts. What do we spend our time doing? 
hobbies can be a good thing. I love walking in the mountains. I love playing music. I play in lots of places. I, uh, I have a friend, Phil, who many of you know. When he moved to Milnthorpe, he decided, what am I going to do that's going to get me into contact with the maximum number of people in this place? And he took up crown bowling. Now he knows loads of people in Milnthorpe. And uh, it's great, and he really enjoys it as well, which is also great. I enjoy playing music. I play in pubs. I play all over the place. It's brilliant. I love it. I started doing it because I wanted to, when I finished work, I wanted to have a place where I was in contact with more non-Christians. But does it slide very easily into the, the approval of the crowd, you know? Is that why I do it? And I love it. I love it when things go well. If I play a piece and it works really well and I nail it, it's great. And if I mess up one little tricky bit, I think, oh, rubbish, you know. Where do I focus my time? And all our hobbies and things that we do, these are good things, but if they become the absorbing thing and what we serve and what we seek in our lives... Is it my car? Is it what I spend my money on? Is it my home? Is it my having the latest kitchen? Is it having, you know, stuff? Even my family. I think somebody once said to me when I was a young Christian, I think it's basically true, if I put God first, I'll be a better husband. If I put my wife first, I'll be a better father. And I think that's fundamentally true. Jesus came to give his life. He came to give his life in abundance. But not as the world sees life in abundance. It doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to be rich. And the more we choose obedience to follow him, fundamentally the better this Christian life is. We don't experience life in life in abundance if I'm busy following my own way and my own agenda. If I seek to follow Jesus, then I begin to feel and sense this life in abundance. If I serve him, then I sense his pleasure in however he's calling me to serve. And the more I choose to follow my own way, ultimately the worse it is. And to live a life of deliberate disobedience is a miserable and guilt-ridden experience. And it's not the life that Jesus wants for us. Is it an adventure to follow Jesus? The Son will set you free, you shall be free indeed. To follow Him is to know a life without bitterness or guilt. It's a life of peace and joy. I quoted this verse from John 15 a couple, a couple of months ago, but I love it. It says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other. The same way as I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Love 
Obedience. Obedience, love. It's two sides of the same coin. To walk in his love is to walk in obedience. To walk in obedience is to walk in his love. If our obedience flows out of our relationship with him and our love for him, then we begin to live this life that he calls us to and he wants for us where there is joy and there is peace. And the more we choose not to, and this is a fight we have to battle, I seem to have to battle every day, that's why it says daily. The more I did it my way, I know Tim Montgomery used to refuse I did it my way for as songs for funerals, because it's the exact opposite of what a Christian is. The I did it my way mentality is what the world would say. It's back to the you only have one life, live it. And surrender is a daily act. It's a minute-by-minute act. And my tendency is to claw back control. Or just to simply drift. To drift effortlessly back into taking control of my life. But our Heavenly Father knows us. He knows how we tick. And my obedience is not the same as yours. What I have God is calling me to do is not what he's calling you to do. But we serve God by being good husbands and wives and parents and children and friends and especially at the moment neighbors. We serve him in our workplaces, in our schools and colleges. We serve him in our integrity, our truthfulness, the quality of our work. We serve him not by being a workaholic but by putting him first. It's an interesting one. I'm just going to divert for a moment about work. Work can become the person who, the the thing that we serve. Work can become all-encompassing, ambition that drives us. If that's what we're driven by, working and doing a good quality job, be mindful that we're working for God, is what he wants. But work, the workaholic, how long is a piece of string? You can give it hours and hours and hours. I know when I was head of maths at Queen Catherine for 11 years, my wife used to say sometimes to me, Chris, you're losing it. I said, what do you mean? She'd say, you are, you are home and you're doing the things, but you're not with us. Your mind is at work. Your mind is thinking about what you have to do tomorrow or what went wrong today or the things you have to deal with. You have to walk come home, shut the door and say, now I am a husband, I am a father because we need you here, not with your mind there. And that's not what God... She was 100% right. I was 100% wrong. And giving up our own way is not always easy. God called us in a prophetic word to to go and live in New Zealand. And we went for a year. It was the best year of my life. It was amazing the things that God did. It was brilliant. And at the end of that year, I desperately wanted to emigrate. It was $3.6 to the pound. It's now 1.8, by the way. And at that point, the equity in my little three-bedroom house in Cockermouth would have bought me a five-bedroom bungalow with a big piece of land and a big car for my four children. Just the equity in the house. 
this is such an oh, perfect time, I said. We should do this. I love the place. I love the countryside. I love the people. And God said, no. <laughs> that wasn't a happy bunny. See, it's not my life to live as I want. It's not my life. And I knew deep in my soul that if I'd gone, it would have been in disobedience. And to do that one year with God in the heart of his will was amazing. And to do that, to go back to serve me and not him, I'm glad I didn't. Jill, my wife, wanted to be a teacher. I think she'd have made a great teacher. She was capable, she was well organized, she'd have been brilliant. God called her to be a nurse, which she didn't want to do, but she applied anyway. And when she got on the wards to actually do the stuff, she loved it. She was one of the very first degree nurses. When she got on the ward, she was a certain level of, who do you people think you are, you academics coming here telling, you know. The, the, the staff on the ward were not impressed. And so she said, the only way to make your mark was to go in and offer to do all the bedpans. You know, just get stuck in and do the nitty gritty tough jobs. And she discovered to her amazement that she loved it. She absolutely loved it. I have a friend called Oliver who lives in Croatia. For him, laying down his life to follow Jesus and his daily experience has been quite severe. During the war against Serbia, he was a new young Christian. He stood up in the streets in Zagreb and preached the gospel. He said there was a real hunger at that time, going through tough times, people are open. And he said, a crowd gathered round, and then a soldier walked up to him. Full kit, rifle, everything. And in a loud, clear voice, he said, are you telling us that God loves Serbians as much as he loves Croatians? You've got to understand the time. Some of these people would have known people closely who'd been killed or maybe raped. It was a terrible, terrible time. The Croatians were 100% convinced that they had right on their side. Um, the Serbians probably had a different perspective, but believe me, they believed they were in the right. And um, the guy said to him, okay, now I'm going to kill you. This was at a time when... Um, it probably would have got away with it. It was chaos. It was mayhem. And this guy, Oliver, who's one of the most committed Christians I have ever met in my entire life, stood there and he said, that's all right. You can kill me if you want. I know where I'm going. You can do it. Just give me 10 minutes to explain to you how Jesus loves you. <laughs> By this time, the crowd are all mesmerized. <laughs> and so for 10 minutes, he tells this guy how Jesus loves him. And then after 10 minutes, the guy turns around and walks away. Uh, they could tell you lots of stories about Oliver. Quite an amazing guy. When I asked him what to pray for Croatia, his initial reaction was, my good feeling, he said, is to pray for more persecution. We had a lot of persecution back then. And the church grew and was strong. And he said, I'm not really asking for persecution. I think that would be wrong. But he said, there's no doubt that when the times were tough, things grew, things were better. Which leads me to the elephant in the room. At the start of 2020, 
I read a number of prophecies and I was pretty skeptical at the time tying in to the fact that it was 2020 and 2020 vision and that God was going to help us to see things clearly and a friend of mine from America I read some stuff she wrote this morning and it said I never expected 2020 to work out like this I never expected the clarity of vision to come from this situation. But she said, I really believe that this may be how we begin to see clearly. We live in a world right now where people are more fearful than I've ever known. My mother's 90. I have friends who have older friends with chronic chest problems who've self-isolated themselves. And they are right to do so. They are vulnerable. And I started to think about this, and the more you think about it, the worse potentially it gets. And I don't mean to be a harboring of doom and gloom, but this is the world we're going to face, I think. How are they going to cope in care homes? I don't know. Who's going to look after the old people? And if half the people die in the care homes, the care homes will shut, and people will lose their jobs. Businesses everywhere are going to struggle. Cafes, pubs, shops, transport, hotels, tourist industry. What about all the people who live in hotels as part of their job? They get somewhere to live. If the hotel shuts, I'm supposed to be getting married in three months' time. You know, who knows? Factories, anywhere where people work together. People start isolating themselves and then who's going to actually do the jobs? Who's going to make things happen? Who's going to make the economy work? People um, with pensions are seeing their pension funds just collapsing around them. People who are working on minimum wage, a lot of people only get statutory sick pay if they're ill, which is not that much. And people often live a hand-to-mouth existence. People, my daughter at the moment, her husband is ill. It, it may or may not have the thing, but they're stuck inside with a three and a half, energetic three-and-a-half-year-old. You know, this is challenging times. And we could become, we, we could succumb to fear. We could, you know, screw us up. But maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe this is an opportunity to show love to our neighbors. To make sure they're okay. Especially if they're old and they may not have access to the internet for internet shopping. This is an opportunity. And people are frightened. People are worried. And people start to think, my things that I thought were solid in my life are looking shaky. Maybe this is a time when people want to think about their future old people maybe think this might kill me this is an opportunity for us to show the love of Jesus to people Johnny Geos bless him he's mobilizing Johnny Geos is sending cards to every house in Kendall asking what the church can do for them 
Ring this number if you need us to bring you some shopping or somebody just to ring you now and again to check you're okay. You know, it's, it's an opportunity. And when people's lives are shaken, people who are laying down their lives to follow Jesus, we can make a big difference. go back to the sermon (laughs) what does it mean following Jesus it doesn't mean I have to give up everything I like but sometimes it might following Jesus you tend to think that means he'll ask us to do the one thing we don't want to do (laughs) you know he might call me to move to London (laughs) I have friends who live in London they love it I would hate to be called to London. But if he called me to, I'd have to do it. It doesn't mean he's going to call me to join lots of committees because I hate being on committees. God bless the people who love being on committees. I love them. But what is he calling me to do? It doesn't mean it's going to be all the bad things. It's more likely to call you to do the thing that you are gifted at and talented at and make you feel fully alive things that might be tough but things that you you really get into and things that energize you those are the things he usually calls us to do it's not some ascetic life view like this life in abundance jesus clearly enjoyed children he had nice meals with friends he drank wine he made jokes Our Father knows we need to look after ourselves if we're going to serve others. We need a break. We need a rest. We need to have some fun and a good laugh sometimes. But what do we live for? Do we live for those things? Or do we live to follow Jesus and the life in abundance that he offers? Because all of those things can be even better following Jesus if our priorities are in the right order. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I've got a couple of quotes here to finish with. So Jesus says that to follow him means walking in the path of the cross. Disciples are like their teacher. Whether that path involves taking up the cross, losing one's life, or not being ashamed of the Son of Man, disciples need to understand that life in the world will not involve an easy, stressless trip into glory. The Apostle Peter would write later that this road of trial to glory mirrors that what Christ himself was predicted to experience, suffering and then glory. The essence of discipleship is humility before God. That humility expresses itself as self-denial. Taking up the cross daily and following Jesus means approaching ministry in the world as he did. He served and gave, gave of himself daily even to the cultural ignominy of publicly bearing rejection on the cross. The Savior bore rejection and death for others, and the disciples must follow in the same path of service. We must be prepared to accept rejection as a given. We have a choice. I can live my way. I can live God's way. I claw my life back. I want to live my way. 
And yet my experience says that when I say yes and follow Jesus, I know deep in my bones there's life there. There's hope there. There's love. There's peace. There's joy. And my alternative might be good for a while, but it's not the way to true life. Let's pray. Father, this is hard stuff, and we live at a tough time. You know how hard we find it to take up our cross and follow you daily. You know that we, the idea of sacrifice and giving of ourselves is not an attractive thought. We want the life in abundance, but we don't want to walk the path of obedience. I thank you that you understand our weaknesses. You understand our struggles. You understand where we are right now. And you understand that we're not going to go from where we are now to being 100% following you in every area of our lives tomorrow. But Lord, we know you are calling us to take steps of obedience, to choose obedience, to choose to follow you. I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. You'd reveal to us the steps we need to make now, the changes that we need to make. Thank you that you are ready. You are ready to run to meet us. You are ready to pour your love and your peace and your joy into our lives. Thank you for this life that you offer us, both now and forever. Thank you that this is the best life. We praise you for all you've done to make it so. We praise you that you took up your cross, Lord Jesus, and went down the toughest possible sacrifice. And we want to follow you. Amen.